0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today I'm honored to have on as our guest Dr. Mallory I, a naturopathic doctor licensed in the state of California. Today we talk about naturopathic approaches to treatment throughout the reproductive lifespan. Dr. I attended NUNM in Portland, Oregon for naturopathic medical school before completing her residency at Sierra Tucson in Tucson, Arizona. Dr. I has also completed training in pelvic floor therapy and offers both naturopathic treatment options and pelvic floor therapy for patients. She is passionate about helping people understand the connection between the mind and body and has a holistic approach to optimizing physical and mental health. Welcome, Dr. I. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, you are a naturopathic physician, and I am so happy to have you on because I've never interviewed a naturopathic physician, and I want to learn more about what you do and kind of how the work you do intersects with the work I do with mental health and and all of this. So I'm I'm ready to learn from you today. So thanks for being here.
1: You're welcome. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. So
0: most basic question, what is a naturopathic physician?
1: Yeah, so... Naturopathic doctor, naturopathic physician, it's important to like tag on the physician or doctor part in California because naturopath is not a protected term. So anyone can call themselves a naturopath, but naturopathic doctor or physician is someone who attended naturopathic medical school where we are, it's a four-year degree program after your undergraduate degree where we are trained in primary care. So similar to your family practice doctor. I can diagnose and treat and do physical exams and order labs and prescribe medications. And then in addition to all the primary care education, we also receive a great deal of education on physical medicine and nutrition and botanical or herbal medicine. So with a very holistic approach to diagnosing and treating, treating that whole person, identifying and treating the underlying cause, do no harm, which is interpreted as often like using the least amount of intervention as possible although certainly there's a time and a place where the least amount of harm done could be prescribing medications or recommending surgery but whenever possible you know using those lower le- level of interventions I'm almost embarrassed to ask this question, but I'm going to ask it for a clarification. So you can actually prescribe
0: any medication that an MD or a DO can prescribe.
1: Yeah. It varies state by state and not every state is licensed. And I often, you know, if someone's interested in working with a naturopathic doctor, like ask them what their training was and what their comfortability is prescribing. But I, I am a prescribing naturopath.
0: Got it. So it's kind of someone who would go to you says, you know, I have some medical issues or some questions. And I, I want someone with the ability to implement Western medicine with this other understanding of kind of these other possibilities of treatment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So now that I have the basic understanding of naturopathic medicine and kind of the training and what you guys can do, I have worked with you with a few clients in terms of the reproductive lifespan, in terms yeah. of how you know our work might overlap in terms of treatment throughout kind of reproductive Issues. So, menarchy, adulthood, with issues surrounding mood shifts around someone's cycle, postpartum, and then moving into the menopausal period. So, it would be great if we can kind of, I'm curious how you approach treatment and yeah. how, how you
1: think about that. Yeah. You know, the beautiful thing and one of my favorite things about naturopathic medicine is really appreciating the individual. And so, My patient appointments are an hour long where I'm really doing a deep dive into someone's health history, asking a lot of questions about their period, how their menstrual cycle shifts, you know, how their hormonal changes and their mood changes are shifting throughout the month. And then other aspects of health and mood and things that affect hormones. Like we know that gut health has a huge impact on hormones and how hormones are metabolized and also on our mood. So I'm asking a lot about gut health. I'm asking a lot about sleep, diet. Trauma history, like all, you know, with this idea that everything is connected. So really zooming out and taking the whole person and their whole history into consideration. Got it. Okay. So should we
0: start from the beginning then in terms of maybe menarchy?
1: Yeah. So um I'm just thinking of like how how I want to explain it and think, you know, think about everything as like such a such a like big broad. topic. <laughs> yeah, a broad topic. So puberty and you know, when someone first gets their period and how there's like this, I, especially I can like remember when I was like this idea of mood swings and mood shifts. And I work with patients to normalize a lot of that. And so people will come and see me like they're having a lot of anxiety and maybe some depression during those like early adolescent years that maybe started when they first started to get their period. So asking a lot of questions about like, when are those mood shifts happening? Really doing a lot of education of like what hormonal shifts are happening. So we have our period, you know, hormones are starting to build. And then estrogen is kind of the, the name of the game in like the first half of the cycle. And then we ovulate and then progesterone takes over for the second half of the cycle and pregnancy doesn't happen. And we have this uterine lining. So And a lot of people don't know that and like how, you know, even just like basic period physiology is like not something that's talked or discussed. So in those first years of your reproductive cycle turning on, having an understanding of like what's normal and what's not normal. And so it's really normal as the brain and hypothalamus and pituitary gland are learning how to communicate with the ovaries. It's normal for that cycle to not ovulate or have a period every month or to have big shifts. Everything's kind of figuring out how to work together. And so it's normal like mood swings are normal and big feelings are normal. And then how can we optimize that? So encouraging sleep, encouraging balanced blood sugar. So we're not, you know, like the candy bar diet that's so common in teenage years. like, educating that like, actually that can cause your blood sugar to go really high and then really low. And then your body will pump out extra cortisol to kind of manage that. And then that can mess up a period. So figuring out how to normalize that and how to help make that transition as smooth as possible. But then a lot of education of like, it's, it's normal. Like we're not supposed to just be like flat, fine all the time. It's normal to have the highs and lows.
0: So at what point if say a teen, young teen comes to you or like 11, 12, 13 year old or or beyond comes to you, you know, I'm wondering if I need some help with regulating my moods around my period, how would you approach that?
1: Yeah. And again, like depending on what's coming up. So if like, it looks like maybe someone's having an irregular period and they're, maybe it's, they're not ovulating. And then, so first I'm always addressing those foundational health, like what sleep, diet, what's going on in the family system. Do they need additional emotional support? I know this whole last year has been really hard on adolescents with pandemic and being isolated from friends. So just like those foundational pieces. And then on top of that, like often I'll supplement with like a B vitamin. Cause we know that our B vitamins are really important for not only hormone synthesis, but also neurotransmitter synthesis as well. So doing a folate or B12 and B6 to kind of help support hormonal and neurotransmitter production, like very, very safe. Our body doesn't hold on to excess B vitamins. We just urinate out what we don't need hard to get everything that we need from just diet alone, especially as a teenager. Like I was not eating vegetables a lot as a teenager. And then of course we were wanting to encourage vegetable intake, but we can't expect perfection. And so like a good quality multivitamin or B complex is something that I'll often recommend and that can do a lot by itself to kind of help balance out those big highs and lows. And if that's still not doing it, sometimes I'll recommend botanical support to kind of help encourage regular ovulation or like essential fatty acids or things like that to encourage ovulation and help. And then if there is something beyond that, like a clear PCOS, then again, shifting focus to kind of help bring balance back into system and help people feel help people feel their best
0: yeah so i guess we kind of started with talking about kind of the beginning of someone's reproductive Mm -hmm. lifespan but this kind of goes beyond i mean people that we see who have in their 20s 30s maybe have or haven't had children yet you know talking about shifts around their cycle i mean it's i think it's the same kind of waiting regardless of their age.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So it's normal for these, like, as things are coming online, as I'll say at the beginning, but you know, those imbalances can last throughout reproductive years or someone's chugging along fine. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh my gosh, like my stress levels are higher. And like, I just feel out of control a week or two out of the month. And then it seems like I get my period and everything's fine. And so teasing out, like, is this depression or anxiety? Is this a mood disorder? Or is this a hormonal imbalance? Or is there both things going on, but really diving deeper and like working at that intersection of mental health and hormonal health and working with people to find those balances really similar, like foundational piece first, you know, looking at progesterone levels. I'm often, often looking at that day 21 progesterone or that seven days after ovulation progesterone, because if it's too low, that can really cause that sensation of like sleeplessness or anxiety that's really common before someone gets their period. So it's a common place to start, but sometimes we're not metabolizing estrogen well and people are getting headaches or a lot of breast tenderness in addition. So those are clues that I'll look for. Is there something physical going on in addition to the the mood swings as well?
0: I have a question and I'm like, should I yeah. save it for yeah. when we talk about menopause, but I just want to ask it now because yeah, I ask it. So my question is, because I see people with mood shifts, I always ask about moods around cycles. Yeah. One question is kind of how you think about use of things like antidepressants, SSRIs we often use for mood shifts before period, I guess. So how do you think about kind of the blending of use of those sorts of medications with the options that you suggest? And yeah. then my other question is oftentimes I'm thinking, okay, who, what specialist should I send this person to in mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. these medications that I'm giving them or talking to them about, or maybe they don't want to try my medications and want to do something
1: more yeah. natural. When do you
0: think about a naturopath versus an OB GYN?
1: Yeah. So I'll answer the first one. So like asking about like, when is medication appropriate? So, I mean, there is good research like for either a birth control or an SSRI medication to specifically for PMS or PMDD. And there's like good evidence and that is great quality of life. And it's, I, you know, I'm going to have my own lens or bias because of my profession and then the patients that come and see me specifically, because that was what was offered to them from their primary care doctor or their gynecologist. And they, and they didn't like that you know, and so I like to offer something different as an alternate, but sometimes I'll offer those things too. So herbs to support ovulation and to support healthy progesterone and estrogen, either levels or detoxification. And then sometimes I'll use like a St. John's wort. There's good evidence and some good randomized control trials on St. John's wort plus Vitex for PMDD. So that it's not totally like, exactly the same as like an SSRI plus birth control, but you know, that's one way to think about it. Um, as long as there aren't contraindications or other reasons to not do that, but so that's something I'll offer to patients. And, you know, those foundational pieces, it's amazing. Sometimes if you're like, oh, well, you just need to eat three times a day, or you just need to like get some sleep, or you just need some help with your kids. Cause you're really burnt out. Like you need to deal with this, a trauma that was never dealt with. And so it's amazing what can happen when we're getting to that deeper level. And sometimes, cause even if I am recommending like those higher level of supplements, that's not something I want someone on long-term. Like I read recently recently, read a friend of mine posted online that was like a pill for every problem is not that much different than like a supplement for every symptom. And I really resonated with that. Like the goal is not to just like swap out one for the other. And I don't think that's, you know, always great medicine. It's just like, Oh, we'll just take this forever, you know? And that's not, if someone's coming to me because they want an alternative just taking a bunch of supplements, you know, and I'll have that conversation with patients. Like there's no rule that says like supplements are better than medication. Like it's just what one is, what is in alignment with someone's personal belief system and then overall quality of life improving. I don't know. That's a very long-winded answer. Right, but it.
0: I also think there's probably cases where there's a blending of both. So of someone course, can and these other supplements, if that's what I think depends on what the person wants to do, what's been helpful. Yeah.
1: Budget, like, you know, whatever, you know, it's all, there's definitely room for all of it.
0: Yeah. Before we go to the OB-GYN versus path, yeah. and I feel like I'm all over the place, but I just so many questions for you. Okay. So I've had people who've gone to naturopaths or other types of providers and they come back with kind of spending all this money on all these different supplements. And I'm, I, am i am sure they're helpful, but at the same time, it's like, where do you draw the line in terms of, yeah. thinking of that too? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, it's like my, same my, I have the same frustration and, you know, when I, started my clinical career when i was working at a residential treatment facility i would have patients come from all over the world that had worked previously with a functional medicine or naturopathic doctor and was like i spent $5000 on all this testing and all these supplements and i still don't feel good and i've had patients get mad at me for not recommending enough supplements and they're like your treatment plan was that i need to like feel my feelings and journal and sleep more <laughs> and It's that teeter-totter of like, sometimes people want more stuff and the temptation. And, you know, and right now I'm like thinking of a handful of patients I have that were like on a strict, no supplement break because they've acquired 30 things. And I think there's a real human temptation of like, I just need to find the right thing. Either that's like the right med cocktail or the right, you know, supplement cocktail or the right diet or the right guru or the right course. And like, that is... I don't know, that does, that's not how I like to practice. And I think there can be harm done in that. And so I, I'm always really clear, like, this is a forever supplement. Like, I think you're someone that's going to benefit from taking a B complex for a long or vitamin D or fish oil or whatever, like for a long time, those are like foundational basics safe to take. And then there's higher level things that maybe we take for a short term while we're working on the foundational things. And, you know, I think of myself, like, I don't like to take things every day. I don't want to spend hundreds of dollars a month on supplements. I wouldn't want to ask someone to do what I wouldn't be comfortable doing.
0: Okay. And then the OB, is there a lot of overlap between the work OBs do supplements? Do they recommend these things? Like maybe it depends on the OB guy.
1: I think, yeah, I think it really depends on the provider. I have refer back and forth with OBs that are like very holistic minded and, And then, you know, same thing, like there's also OBs that like go totally into the functional medicine route and are prescribing lots of lots and lots of supplements and, or lots and lots of hormones. And so I think it's just finding your referral groups that you feel good about and that your patients connect with. What I hear a lot, which is like, I don't want to like step on anyone's toes, but birth control is often prescribed as a way to regulate hormones and a way to solve period problems. And while I think birth control is like one of the greatest inventions of modern society, it's not without risk and it's not without side effects. And I think it is often recommended as like a one size fits all approach, maybe sometimes irresponsibly, especially with that increased risk of blood clot. Like we like completely shut down the Johnson and Johnson vaccine distribution right now because six people got blood clots, but like so many women every single year are getting blood clots directly linked to birth control. There's a time and a place for birth control. I think, again, it's really great. And like, we're not having that conversation enough with patients about what the risks and side effects of the medication are. And if there was other, like other tools, maybe in addition to, or before trying birth control, I think, you know, that's, I think it was worth exploring and I would love to have more collaboration between like gynecology and holistic or naturopathic medicine.
0: And it also brings up this other idea when you're talking about kind of risks involved of things that maybe you think are benign or not a problem. You know, a lot of times what you recommend, people can just get on their own, but there's a benefit to talking to a specialist about how they're taking it because there could be risks involved to taking s- supplements as
1: well. Well, hundred percent and not all supplements because they're not FDA approved. So it's up to the comp- individual companies to do their own third-party testing and making sure there's not heavy metals. I recently attended a webinar that was talking about like with all, with the pandemic and all the elderberry that was being recommended. One supplement company did a a study to just pull six products that were claiming to have elderberry in them off of like a sprouts shelf. And none of them actually had any elderberry in them because there was a huge elderberry shortage in the middle of the pandemic. So there's a whole, like a whole conversation to be had around ethics and sourcing and, soil quality and heavy metals and filler. And like, I often have the conversation with patients about like, if you took ashwagandha and it didn't work, but you just took it from like some random thing, like, did it not work because there maybe wasn't even any Ashwagandha in it or wasn't a very potent form or was expired or was that just not the right medicine for you? So yeah, I think it's definitely worth working with a specialist to help figure okay.
0: out. Okay. I'm yeah. trying to be mindful of the time. I feel like we could talk forever, but I also want to make sure we get to postpartum and also a big topic that comes up in my practice. And I really want to hear about it or it has to do yeah. with perimenopause, menopause, menopause. menopause. Yeah. So you want to touch
1: briefly on the postpartum period. Yep. Yep. So again, with every woman I'm working with, I'm a, you know, those foundational pieces, just as important with postpartum. With postpartum, there's this like added thing to address of like the lack of sleep and lack of support. We're so, so isolated. And so I do a lot of work around burnout with people and like having community bringing in, like whenever there's, the option to have partnered help, like, I think it's getting better, but there's still this like really unequal distribution of labor between like birthing partner and non birthing partner and household. And so like that I think is a huge piece that needs to be addressed in families. And I think a big contributor to postpartum in addition to like the hormonal drops and the neuro, you know, the secondary neurotransmitter things, but this idea of like, oh, my body's not my own anymore. And like coming to terms with that.
0: A little bit about breastfeeding? Would you want to go there a little
1: bit? I mean, I'd be so careful with, you know, anything that you're prescribing postpartum. Sometimes I, that is the time I'm more likely to prescribe medication because we have more safety data on it. But as far as things to take during breastfeeding or just like how like to, is Do you talk to people? I'm sure you see people who are breastfeeding and maybe, oh
0: yeah. I don't think it's, we should probably get into the specifics because I think it's definitely something that's as someone should you know, talk to the about, but this idea that you do kind of work with
1: people around breastfeeding. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I often am recommending to work with a lactation consultant. It's some, once upon a time I was attending births and like working as a midwife apprentice. And so I have experience working with women in lactation and it's just not, it's something that we think is going to be easy and natural. And so often very challenging. And so yeah, really working on with the individuals, like, what are your goals here? What's realistic? How can we help you? And then sometimes, you know, I'm the person that just tells women, like, if this isn't working, it doesn't, it's okay. And that in and of itself can be like a big, big relief too. And if you want to breastfeed, you know, and the other side of it too, like, it's also okay if you want to breastfeed and it's okay to breastfeed in public. I'm like, Women need more support, not less. Like they don't need more people shaming them for the decisions that they're making. And that can be hugely protective as I'm sure you see all the time for mood. Yes, Yes. (laughs) yeah.
0: But I guess I think also an important thing to think about is there are risks to anything in terms of transmission through breast milk, even supplements. And even highlights the importance of talking to a naturopath about the supplements and the safety data that's available. Kind of not assuming that everything is safe
1: either. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, even, even myself, I'm like always looking up like, what's the latest safety data on this? Like, do we have information on, does this transfer through breast milk or not and herbs Vitamins, amino acids, medications—like this, I think—and it's hard because, as I'm sure you know too, like it's not ethical to do like good randomized control trials with women involving pregnancy and lactation. And so there's also this like we think it's safe, but we don't, you know, like it's often a gray area. So that's all like being really transient (laughs) too. Yeah,
0: Yeah. menopause. I'm. I'm I feel like I'm rushing through all the fire. (laughs) What what do we have to say about menopause and perimenopause?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, again, treating the individual, I am a big fan of utilizing hormone replacement therapy before I'll jump to like antidepressant medications. I know different professional groups have different schools of thought on that. But, and I, am using bioidenticals in the lowest dose and having conversations with people about safety. And of course, like not everyone is a good candidate for hormone replacement, but I have seen that turnaround depression and anxiety that comes on in perimenopause and menopause. And to me, it just feels better than jumping to an SSRI. If someone's like has brand new onset depression that came on with that big hormonal shift
0: Right. And I think maybe rewind a little bit that yeah. perimenopause, menopause is a huge risk kind of time frame in terms of developing or reemergence of depressive or anxiety symptoms. Yes,
1: yes, yes absolutely. And so having those conversations about It's just, again, it's like second puberty. So this like, just like things are up and down when the ovaries are turning on, as they're turning off, things are really up and down. And so again, normalizing that experience and like, you know, a lot of women wake up and they're like, wait, like there's like a lot, a morning of the loss of fertility and, that transition and what that means and what my role is in life. And like, you, I feel like we can't have this conversation without like the larger context of like how aging is treated in our society and like all of that. And, and then re yes, very important to know that it's very common to have reemergence of anxiety and depression. And I see a lot of like brand new onset, like, you know, I've never felt this way before. Right.
0: And the kind of combination of not only mood shifts, but a lot of physical discomfort. (sighs) flashes all these things. And I, I think wow. there's actually a special place for use of naturopathic medicine for a lot of those symptoms.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. There's a lot of great herbs that have been around for, you know, being used in remedies for a really, really long time to manage these symptoms and like fluctuations in libido. I'm like very much a less is less is more person. And like, again, like whatever we can address with diet lifestyle, those kind of foundational changes as always my go-to. And then when we need to, do those higher level interventions when appropriate. But a lot of people come and see me like, I want to try hormones. I like feel like a crazy person. And then we do a little bit of progesterone and like all of a sudden they're like sleeping at night and not feeling anxious. And yeah,
0: yeah. I was just thinking you are a rock star for me, like firing these questions that are really complex at you. And you are just like answering them and giving succinct answers. And I know it's really hard because I feel like these topics have, we could have a whole podcast on each one of these specific topics. Oh
1: my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like so much to say. And I like, you know, of course, like things pop in your head of like, what would this person say? And what would like, you know, I'm always thinking about like, oh my gosh, I'm like representing naturopathic medicine. And what does that mean? And, you know, every doctor practices differently and there's, I'm very pro nuance and anti dogma. And I get really annoyed with the like, all naturopaths are bad or all MDs are bad. Like my entire clinical working years have been working with other specialties. And I think that's really where the best patient care comes from.
0: Yeah. And I see that too, in my practice. I mean, that's why I really wanted you on this podcast, because in my practice, there's always that question, okay, I need more help here, right? With the treatment of this individual, right? What I can offer to them only can go so far. And I need some other kind of tools that they can can reach for in terms of helping things like other physical symptoms. The medications I'm giving them aren't really, they're helping somewhat or maybe not at all, but- Uh we need a little bit of something extra. And I think that's maybe where you you come in. And I mean, I've, I've worked with you before, so I, I agree. Like It's been really helpful to kind of figure out how you work with people, how you think about treating them and kind of how you collaborate just to kind of provide the best patient care and yeah. best outcomes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Medicine is big and people are complex and being a human is messy and it's not, you know, like it's nice to have all different specialties because we all have the lens and our, our own unique biases in the way that we look at a patient. And it's nice to have a collaborative model. I think that's when that's when people get better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So before we say goodbye, did I forget to ask any in really important question, which I'm sure I did, but anything that comes to
1: mind? Um, I don't think so. I think we really did a nice rapid fire of covering everything. Yeah.
0: I'll make sure in the episode description, if the listener's interested in learning more about your specific practice, your information will be there, but also any sort of other resources that you recommend, we'll make sure they're there. Any parting words for the listener?
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for, you know, considering naturopathic medicine and, you know, being open to collaborative care. And I think for listeners, you know, advocating for yourself and putting together a treatment team that is meeting your needs, you know, that could include an naturopathic doctor.
0: All right. Well, thank you for being here. I really appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. All right. Bye. 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 This has been Mind Stories. With remote appointments in California and nine offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe.